Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in this time and we just humble ourselves before you as we know that you speak to us through your word. You speak to us through your spirit. You touch our hearts and our minds and you guide us and lead us. So may we hear what we need to hear. May we learn what we need to learn. May we follow as we need to follow. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, before I was at this church, I, you know, I've gone to Mexico and Sonata on many, many trips. And there was this one particular trip. We were at the ranch. We are staying at the ranch. And we were working on one of the roofs of their classrooms um, at the ranch there. And I happened to be on the ladder. The ladder was on some dirt ground. And, and I was trying to help move the plywood over and get that in place. And I remember I leaned over to grab the plywood. And as I leaned over, the ladder started to tip. And so I reached for the beam to try to grab the beam, try to balance myself. But all that did was knock me sideways, and I fell eight feet to the ground, landing on my left arm. Well, fortunately, I landed on dirt. And so when I got up, I was trying to move my arm and see if I had broken anything. And fortunately, I hadn't broken anything. But I hurt my left arm pretty severely. And everybody wanted me to go to the hacienda and and uh, you know, rest and relax, but I still wanted to do good, right? I still wanted to work. So I climbed up the ladder up to the roof. Yeah, I went up to the roof after this. And I'm on the roof and I thought, you know, I'm just gonna pound some tiles in, right, okay? So I went to grab a nail and I could hardly use my left arm at all. So all I could do is basically, I could put the nail there and I kind of pounded it far enough until it stood, stayed by itself and then I finished pounding it in. And so for about a half an hour, I was trying to work like this. And finally, I gave up, and I said, you know, I think I need to go rest a little bit. A couple days later, we went home. Straight from home, we went to Hawaii on a family vacation. And then from straight from Hawaii, I flew to Texas for a denominational conference. And by the time I got home, two weeks had passed. My arm was basically better, and I never did see a doctor for the pain. But I tell you the story because I think, I think about, you know, in our life, we think, we can do good. I can do good, right? And it's events like this, experiences like this, that remind me that I can't always do the good that I think I can do. That I make mistakes and I, I fail oftentimes, right? The passage we're going to look at this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. We're making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We're thinking of ourselves as Jesus' disciples, and as he's teaching the disciples, and as they're watching Jesus do all these things, hopefully we're walking alongside Jesus. We're watching Jesus. We're learning from Jesus as his disciples as well. And today in chapter 19, we're going to talk about, the scripture helps us to understand that we can never be good enough in our life. Being good is not good enough for eternal life. We will make mistakes. We will fail. We will fall. We will stumble. We will sin in our lives. So we get to verse 16. Whenever you see the yellow, please read the yellow with me. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? The man walks up to Jesus, and it's apparent that the man has heard about Jesus because he calls them teacher. Jesus is a bit of a different kind of teacher, right? We've seen throughout the Gospel of Matthew, he's seen as a teacher who has authority. 
one who has challenged them in his teaching. And so this man comes to him and calls him teacher. And then he asks him this question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? From this question, we can see that the man is interested in spiritual matters. He wants to know about eternal life. He wants to know how he can get this thing called eternal life. How is eternal life achieved? The man has a thinking that eternal life comes from the good things that he does in his life. He is seeking this new authoritative teacher, Jesus, to find out the answer to this all-important question. Now, before we get into the conversation that Jesus has with this man, I want to talk about first about how this question is misguided. And there are three words that I want to point out that we're going to look at. And three words are good, do, and get. Good, do, and get. It seems as this man believes that eternal life is something that is earned by doing good in life. It is something that can be attained by what he can do. Eternal life is something that he can possess, something that he can get himself. Now, that is not surprising, because if you look throughout the ages, you'll see that this is a popular teaching throughout all time, right? People want to be involved in, in gaining eternal life. They want to think that they have to do something to earn it, right? That it's something that they can achieve something that they can possess. The man believes that Jesus gets, gives them a set of actions to do, a set of rules to follow, then he can accomplish them, and then he will gain eternal life. Now, we will soon see that this kind of thinking is short-sighted and just plain wrong. We will learn in this chapter how eternal life is received and not gotten. And so, eternal life is not earned, but received. That is the first point that we need to understand. Eternal life is not earned, but received. Now, Jesus picks up that this man has some spiritual uh, interest. He's searching for what good thing he can do to be right before God, and therefore, by being right before God, he can uh, enter heaven. And we're told later in the passage that this man is wealthy, and so he's referred to as the rich young ruler. Now, he had attained great wealth, and with that, he had great power, and he believed that because he had done all these things to get his wealth, that he could just do all these things to get eternal life, right? That was his thinking. If I do all these things, and look at what I've achieved in my life. Look at all that I possess now. I can do that with eternal life as well. He believes salvation could be earned. Jesus presses the man with a question and then a statement. The question is, why do you ask me about what is good? He's seeking out in the man, do you believe that I am more than a teacher? Do you believe that I am the Messiah, the one to come and to save people from their sins? And then we see in a statement where Jesus says, there is only one who is good. And you see that the, the word one is capitalized because it's referred to as someone who is greater than just a human being, right? Do you not only think of me to be the Messiah, but you, do you think of me to be the Son of God, God in the flesh, God right here in your presence, the one who truly knows what is good. 
Then Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, we might want to translate the word life actually would be better translated as eternal life. Because Jesus is talking about things beyond this earthly life. If you want to have eternal life, in essence, he says, keep the commandments. Now, when you read that, you might think, is Jesus agreeing with the man? Is Jesus saying, wow, keep the commandments? And if you keep the commandments well enough, then you can achieve eternal life? Well, in a sense, kind of yes. But in a sense, he's kind of setting up the man. Because we know that no one can fully keep the Ten Commandments. That's why... The law had to be replaced by grace. But Jesus is really trying to keep the man in conversation. He is leading the man to this truth that he wants to tell him. And so he's just kind of guiding him along in this conversation. He's starting where the man, the place where the man understands, right? And he's trying to get him to the ultimate truth that Jesus wants him to understand. Have you ever done that? You've had a conversation with someone and you know what your end point is going to be, but you know you can't just jump to that end point, right? They, they won't accept that point right at this moment. And so you try to lead them along, you try to ask questions, you try to uh, say statements, and you try to get them to actually go back on what they believe, on what they think, so that they open themselves up for the truth that you want to tell them. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He wants to make statements that will set up the man to kind of stumble over his own thinking so that he opens himself up to the truth that Jesus wants to teach him. I remember when I was younger and I, I started working for the first time, and in each job I would go to, one question I would always ask my boss, right? What is it exactly I'm supposed to do? Right? I mean, you go into a job and you want to know exactly what is expected of you, right? You want to know what you're expected to do so that I could do it and then I could be that good employee doing exactly what I was supposed to do, right? And that's kind of what this man is doing. He wants to know what exactly am I supposed to do? What is expected of me if I follow you? But ultimately, what is expected of me for me to be able to get to heaven? Because that's really his goal, right? He wants to get to heaven. As soon as Jesus mentions keeping the commandments, he asks, which ones do you do you want me to keep? Now, I don't, I don't know why the man didn't expect that he should have kept all of the commandments, right? Which ones do you want me to keep? Maybe he thought that some of the commandments would help him to get to heaven more than the others, right? And so Jesus starts to list them, right? He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can almost imagine the man, as Jesus is going through this list of commandments, the man is thinking in his mind, check, 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 and check, right? But we need to understand eternal life is not received by carrying out a checklist, but an attitude of the heart. How many people, how many times do we, we live that way, right? Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'll just do that today, and you know, I'll get to the end of the day, and I'll say, well, I had a good day, right? Check, check, check. I, I did all that I was supposed to do today, right? But it's not so much following a checklist, an attitude of the heart. We need Jesus to transform our hearts to be more like God's. I say how he's probably checking off that list because his response to Jesus is, all these I have kept. 
in his mind, he has kept all the commands that Jesus has listed. In other words, he's not murdered anyone. He's not committed adultery or stolen. He's not given false testimony. He's honored his father and mother, and he's loved his neighbor as himself. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have said to him, well, what criteria are you using to be able to say that you kept all of these, right? Because no one can keep all the commands all the time. We will stumble. We will fall. Reminds me of the football player, the football captain, you know, in high school. You remember that person who was so ultra popular, right, and thought that he was better than everyone else. Or you think about in college that, that one person who always got the super high grade that raised up the curve, right? And she thought that she was better than everyone else. Or you, the, the rich person who looks down on everyone else and thinks that he is better than everyone else. They have their own standard, their own criteria, which they judge themselves by, thinking that they are perfect. Have you known people like this? Maybe you've been around people that made you feel inferior, not as good as they are, who think they have no faults, who think they're as perfect as any human could possibly be. See, the rich young ruler is referred to in the scriptures here as someone who is like that, who thinks like that. He's thinking that he is pretty close to heaven. He is pretty close to eternal life. He doesn't understand the concept of holiness and sin. He doesn't understand the difference between works and grace. See, this is why Jesus came to the earth. One of the important reasons to help us understand that we cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot be good enough. We can never make ourselves holy by the good we try to do. We will always fall short because of the sin in our lives. Our good works cannot take the stain of our sins away. Only the cleansing from Jesus' forgiveness can take that stain away, can remove our sins. Only Jesus, when we confess, can make us holy and righteous. So the man is a little confused. He's wondering, what do I lack, right? He says, he says, what do I lack? And Jesus answers in verse 21. If you want to be perfect, again, see how he thinks that he's perfect. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, Jesus got him, has it where he wants him now, doesn't he? He's gotten the, the man to admit that he thinks he's perfect. He thinks he's this close to heaven. He just needs to do a few more things, right? Maybe keep one more commandment. What else do I need to do? What else do I lack? Right? He thinks himself to be perfect. Jesus says, aha, let me tell you, if you want to be perfect, then there's still more you need to do. Go sell your possessions. He challenges the man in the very thing he desires the most, that he loves the most, his wealth. His wealth. Go and sell. Go and give. Give to the poor. Help those who don't have. Show the true love that God has for these people. You have the means. Help them out. Read verse 22 with me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Eternal life is not about what you possess, but how you believe and give. I've never been rich, 
I don't understand what it means to be rich. Probably the closest thing I've ever had to being rich is when I got uh, $60,000 as an inheritance when my dad passed away. We sold his house. We split the, the profit of the house between my brother, my sister, and myself. Now all of a sudden I have $60,000. When you get a chunk of $60,000, that's a big chunk of money, right? And it's interesting that when you get a large chunk of money like that, you start to think, hmm, what am I going to buy with this? I mean, that's, that's all usually the first thought in our head. What am I going to buy with Hmm, I've always wanted a Lexus. Maybe I can buy a Lexus. My wife gives me the look like, what? <laughs> so we paid off our Dodge Caravan, not a Lexus. Paid off our car, and the rest of the money, well, first of all, we gave $6,000 to the church, right? We needed to tithe on that $60,000. So then we had $54,000 left, then paid off our car, and put the rest in our kids' college fund. <laughs> so much for my Lexus, right? <laughs> Went to my kids' college. I think it was better invested in my kids' college than in the Lexus. Isn't it funny how people think this way? They get money, and they think, what can I buy with this? Instead of, what can I give? How can I help others who have need? See, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, ta Jesus talks about how money can rival the throne of our heart where God is supposed to be, right? That place where God is supposed to be, oftentimes money can take that place. And he says this to the disciples, verses 23 to 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. It is easier for a camel, now picture this, the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is kind of saying it's pretty difficult. Those who have riches, their riches take that place on their heart where God is supposed to be. It consumes them. It overwhelms them. Right? The Apostle Paul talks about this great challenge as well. Read with me. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, is warning us that money can get in the way of our relationship with God. And we see this happen with the rich young ruler. He couldn't give up it up to follow God. The reason why Jesus challenged him with that is because he knew, Jesus knew, that if the man didn't do that, he wouldn't be able to fully follow Christ and be his disciple. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were stunned. And we read in verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? You see, the, the disciples are thinking beyond the rich. I mean, if riches could do this, then, then what other sin, what other things in our life could do this to us? Who then can be saved? I mean, we're in a difficult predicament, right? If our sin gets in the way of our salvation, who then can be saved? Now, as we're going through the story, you might not fully connect. Maybe you don't think of yourself as rich. You just say, well, I don't connect with the rich young ruler. I don't have a problem with money, right? I don't have a problem with riches. 
please give me that problem, right? But don't miss the point here. What Jesus is saying, it's not about the riches that Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is that we cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot do enough good things to get to heaven on our own. Eternal life is not something that is achieved, but something that is received. It is about learning how we should not try to do things on our own to get there. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. That's why we need to have faith in Christ, because it's only in Christ that we can ever get past that sin in our lives, that we ever be moved to the point to do good works, not for the sake of salvation, but for the sake of truly loving others the way God loves them. And so Jesus answers a question of the disciples with some wonderful and encouraging and hopeful words. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With, with God all things are possible. The most important truth here is that we cannot earn our way to heaven. The way to heaven is by way of Jesus. Read with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by your works so that no one can boast. It is not by you or by me. It is by faith in Christ, by what Christ has done for us. We receive eternal life by God's grace through faith in Christ. Eternal life is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. A woman tells a story about how her and her husband one day went to their, their first grade daughter's open house. And as they walked in, they were looking around, and then they met the teacher, and the teacher said, oh, you're Rachel's parents. I'm a little concerned with her artwork. Let me show you something. So she takes them over to, the kids have made these treasure boxes. And they had put treasures in these treasure boxes they'd made. And they finished the sentence. The sentence says, a real treasure would be. And in some of the boxes, there's like a TV, a Nintendo, there was, uh, uh, let me see what else. Um, uh, gold coins, and one child put a unicorn in theirs. But in little Rachel's, there was a picture of Jesus. And in this picture was Christ on the cross. And from his hands were dripping drops of blood shaped as hearts. And a real treasure would be, and she answered the question, Jesus. And then the teacher looked at the parents and said, do you see my problem? Do you see the problem here? And the father looked at the teacher and said, yeah, I see. She spelled the J backwards, didn't she? <laughs> see, for the teacher, she looked at this picture. It was a graphic picture, right? Blood dripping from someone's hand. A man on a cross being crucified. But Rachel understood the truth. That eternal life is found in Christ who sacrificed himself for you and for me. That is the real treasure. She missed what the treasure was, the treasure of Jesus' sacrifice so that we could have eternal life. Now, we go through this, this sermon. And the sermon is titled, What Must I Do to Have Eternal Life? And maybe... As you hear that statement, you already knew the answer to that question. 
I know it's not what I do. I know it's by faith. Right? And for you, it's just a review, right? This concept that I've talked about, this whole sermon is just for you, a review. But I would propose to you that it is a very important reminder. The most important of reminders that we need to understand clearly. We need to clearly set our goal to be a follower of Christ, to give ourselves fully over to Christ, to not let anything hold us back from that relationship with Christ. It's really about the word discipleship. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, discipleship. That's what it means to be a church of God, discipleship. And discipleship first means that we take this faith we have, this faith we understand, this faith we know in Christ, and we share it. We share this good news with others, with those who don't know that treasure. And then the second part of discipleship is we help one another and we help people around us grow into a deeper relationship with Christ. That's what I want to leave you with. That we are true followers of Christ, not letting anything hold us back. Understanding that it's through faith in Christ that we are saved and that that faith needs to be shared with those who don't know that treasure. Those who don't have that treasure. Let us pray.